0: that you have every day in what you do in non-disaster settings directly overlay with what you can do in disaster response, which means that if you are a survivor of the disaster and you can help, you should help.
1: 720 WGN High atop Chicago in the Skyline Studio for Preparedness Matters with Vince Davis and Danielle and Vince, we've got a great guest on the show today.
2: Absolutely, Dane. We're excited to have Lisa Orloff. Lisa is the president of Resiliency Advisors, LLC, and founder of the World Care Center. And they're an organization that rose out of the 9-11 terrorist attack effort after 2001 and trained citizens to be safe and effective in disaster as volunteers. And so throughout her career, Lisa's developed uh, methods to address you know, natural disaster and societal disaster response challenges, to equip community leaders with skills and knowledge, and really to to come up with some innovative approaches to to dealing with volunteers. So, Lisa, glad to have you on the show today.
0: Thanks so much, Vince. Appreciate it. Good to meet you, Dane.
2: Lisa, let's get right into it. We know that you've responded during the 9-11 effort, Hurricane Katrina, the Haiti earthquake. Tell us a little bit about your organization and let our listeners know exactly What is it that World Cares does?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, having been a lifelong New Yorker and passionate about my city, I was really taken back and and put back on my heels when we were attacked. And not only was I, of course, outraged, saddened, angry, all of those emotions, but I was also felt a tremendous need to to respond and be proactive and to give back to the city that gave so much to me and i felt that everybody else you know that ever visited new york city sent their children to college here made careers here saw a show they should all be chipping in and helping and and we saw that in so many different ways and there was an outpouring of help, there was an outpouring of resources, but the one thing that we did not have is we didn't have a game plan. We didn't have a game plan uh, for how how to manage all of these different resources and these different people, where to place them, how to keep them safe, how to keep checks on them, maybe giving them the training that they needed to be more uh, impactful. and. We saw that even with our first responders, the overexposure to Ground Zero, both emotionally and physically. And I went from being a spontaneous volunteer, developing the first supply chain down to Ground Zero from the Jacob Javits Center, where at the time I was a fashion designer and I was supposed to be having a show, but that turned into uh, one of the major hubs supplying resources down to Ground Zero to the rescue workers. Uh, And I created this supply chain and got very involved, and later on sold my business and started World Care Center, where we opened up one of our first programs, September Space. They actually cared for responders and volunteers that were in and around Ground Zero. And we saw uh, physical exposure, we saw uh, emotional exposure, mental health issues sprouting up, and after five years of serving 45,000 individuals and families, the survivors, the responders, address the root cause of this. And the root cause, is not having a management structure in place, not having training, you know, pre-existing plans to manage when catastrophic disasters happen. And all of these people who don't normally work together come together and help.
2: That's interesting. So, Lisa, you really did develop World Care. Literally out of the ashes, so to speak, of of nine eleven. You weren't even doing any of this. You came out of the, the fashion industry. That that's quite interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know what what that proves, and it's, it wasn't only me for sure. I got together I band together with a bunch of uh, volunteers. But what that proved is that the skills that you have every day and what you do in non disaster settings directly directly overlay with what you can do in disaster response. You know, having run a small business, I managed logistics. I managed communication. I managed inventory. I managed people. All of that applied to what I did during the 9-11 relief effort. So when we look at, you know, citizen volunteers, emergent volunteers, people that show up just to help, you know, it takes a quick moment to figure out what experience they have and to quickly vet them and place them effectively. Um, and it's it's not rocket science, but it does require pre planning and it does require a management structure in place who can do these things.
2: Sure, you need some skills and you need some people who actually know how to how to organize. That that makes a lot of sense. So tell us about the organization. How big is it? How many folks do you have? operating, you know, under the World Care's banner and, and what kinds of things do they do day to day?
0: Well, we have evolved over the years and we have an incredible initiative that we're working on that a national slash global initiative. So we have a small team here, a small administrative team of about five individuals and we have literally thousands and thousands of of volunteers associated and what we are focusing on is not only are we doing our, our normal disaster relief, but what we are focusing on is the first ever collaborative disaster volunteer credential.
2: So, so tell our listeners, uh, Lisa, why is credentialing so important with volunteers? We know that after 9-11, uh, lots of people showed up in New York to help lots of first responders, lots of just plain citizens who were concerned. They wanted to do something. They wanted to help. And that, of course, spawned a lot of chaos here in, in New York at Ground Zero and actually resulted in the, in the development of the uh, National Response Framework and the National Response Plan. But tell us how, how volunteerism and, and managing volunteers became an issue with regard to making sure that people were properly vetted and credentialed.
0: Sure. So, you know, Vince, I take this from the opposite side of this coin. After Katrina, Craig Fugate, our our FEMA administrator said, we need a whole of community approach to disaster response, which means that if you are a survivor of the disaster and you can help, you should help. He really sent out the message that he's, can't do it on their own, that they need the support of the hyperlocal community. And what World Care Center, you know, we celebrated that, but we also said, that's great. Now you're saying what we naturally do is now being accepted and called upon. But where's the training? Where's the acknowledgement? Where are the tools for these disaster volunteers and these local leaders to be trained on the same level as official responders? not only to do the volunteer work, but to keep themselves safe. You know, um, there are a lot of hazards out there, both physical and emotional hazards. So when I developed the credentialing program with 25 of my peers from around the country and around the world, it wasn't to say, you have to have a badge. It's to say, we want to make sure that you're trained to keep yourself safe first and then to service that we all understand what that means so when we say muck and gut operations everybody knows what that means and it's not that we need this badge or these this credential to, to let these volunteers help it's that we as managers of disaster volunteers when we know and we offer a common platform to these disaster volunteers and these local leaders it ensures that if I get trained on this credential, I can go to any one of those 25 organizations and say, I'm level one, I'm level two, I'm level three, here's what I can do, place me. And I don't have to be retrained every single disaster or every single group that I volunteer with. So it saves time, it saves resources on both ends. And in addition, It reduces the burden on that local leader, that volunteer manager, to have to train constantly. Even if people have been trained in, say, they're a, uh, you know, a FEMA Corps volunteer, or maybe they're a Ready Rockaway volunteer, or they're a World Care Center affiliated volunteer. If we're all working together and we agree on what a level one, two, and three volunteer are, and they're all trained, just like NIMS, just like ICS, just like the structures that the government has, just like being a level one firefighter, an interior or an exterior firefighter, we all know what we all know.
1: Lisa, I wanted to ask you, you know, Vince kind of mentioned you coming from the fashion background, having a career in that and then you have this calling. You mentioned your love for New York and, and so many people, you know, mobilized and got engaged and they heard that calling, but not everybody did it stick to the point where then they would then take their interest to a place like Katrina or these other disasters or even make it their life's work and passion to create this framework. So talk about that. Like, it's one thing to get involved in the heat of the moment and know you have to lend a hand and get involved with something like 9-11. But at what point did you know that this was going to be your life's work?
0: I don't think that there was one moment in time where I realized my calling or this is something that I'm going to be doing for the last 21 years. I think it really was progressive, and the need has never gone away. Disaster volunteers, responders, community leaders all need support and training to stay safe and we developed this curriculum in new york city people came to us they chipped in they came around they came from around the country they came from around the world we began to deliver this training across the country and then then the haitian earthquake happened and we deployed as a world care center team and we applied this training to one of the most challenging environments the aftermath of the haitian earthquake And it worked. And we went with a very small team, three people, found local leaders, trained them. They chose their team. And we worked with them side by side for close to two and a half years. And we really realized that this whole, you know, as as kitschy as it seems, this empowerment model, this not getting in front of the locals, but getting behind them. And giving them the resources they need, giving them a little bit more information about disaster management because all of them are community leaders that lead every day and nobody knows the hyper-local needs of the community better than they do. But this is an effective model that changes lives and lives in the community and stays in the community well after a disaster strikes.
2: So it's more than a the usual top down approach where people are coming in and saying you do this and you do this it's really more of a grassroots bottom up approach than- it,
0: it is exactly that our deployment team is our deployment team from the US is never more than 3 to 4 people and we go in and we find the local leaders we observe we talk to the community and you just sit and you watch and you see leadership happen and unfold And you support that. And now this is using the technology available today. We are merging our knowledge center Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: our coordination center into one enterprise. It's free of charge. You log on. You can get credentials. You can take basically one-off courses if you don't even want to get credentialed and you just want to learn something down and dirty and quick, like how to muck and gut your basement, you can do that. Or you can get credentialed. And then you can look at who's doing what and where, what groups are deploying where, and request to join their volunteer request. Or you can log on and you can say, oh, I I, I want to join this group. And this group will say, well, that's great, but take this level one training. And then you go and you take this level one training and you get that badge on your profile and everybody can see it.
2: Now, Alisa, how much of this training can be done online and how much is it required to be in person?
0: All of the training can be done online. The reinforcement of the training via experiential learning opportunities can be done in person. We can do that in a number of ways. So pre-COVID, we had something called the Boots on the Ground exercise, which brought everyone together. Now people really want to do this in, within the groups that are using the disaster credential that when the volunteers arrive to run them through a hands-on training to reinforce what they've learned online.
1: Lisa, one of the things, and you've mentioned part of the inspiration for it was to have a sort of a uniform training skill set vernacular that matched with the people that would be able to utilize or benefit from these volunteers, right? They know that these people know the basics and everybody can sort of speak the same language. You know, for volunteers, a lot of times they're inspired to get in there and, and make a difference and they want to get this training, but also you want them to You know, not put themselves in harm's way through the process of being inspired and wanting to get engaged. Is that part of it too? Let's say people see something, you know, about the Ukraine or, you know, they want to get involved, but, you know, you have to do things and support even local disasters from a safety standpoint. So they learn things that are helpful to the disaster, but also the safety side to keep themselves out of harm's way.
0: Absolutely, Dane. The safe care aspect of it is. Um, I'd say 60% of the training. So we were very lucky during Superstorm Sandy, we stood up three volunteer reception centers to absorb the volunteers that were coming from within the community. And we coordinated with our offices of emergency management and other local partners. We received funding from the Red Cross. And one of the largest, most impactful and longstanding relationships of NIEHS and they came they found us and they looked at our training and they said this is great but we want to make this more robust we want to work with you to institutionalize the training that you you have in your delivering and they brought us into the fold they brought us into the family we are supported by a uh, a grant a subgrant through Rutgers University and You know, they are all about employee safety, and now through their awareness of what we do, disaster volunteer safety. And so every single course is, what are you doing to protect yourself? What is the organization you're volunteering with doing to protect you? Applying things that we, there's a term called hierarchy of controls, and it's Five levels of control measures and and methods that you can run through to make sure that you're doing all that you can to protect yourself and protect your volunteers. And so whether you're talking about flood response or first aid or a volcanic eruption, what are you doing? And that starts actually with the first course, which is Know Before You Go. And it is a a self-awareness assessment. Uh, for the disaster volunteer? What do I need to know? What are my capabilities, both emotionally and physically, and also logistically? What are my responsibilities at home? Is everybody on board with me going away from my home and taking care of other people? And it runs through all of the different touch points of being at that individual is not only based on our colleagues in the field. What do we run across? all the time. And then they don't like the question, well, let's run through some questions. Why? Why do I have to why do I have to assess? Well, are you or anyone on your team asthmatic? Well, yes. Okay. Well, why does that matter? Well, that matters because anyone who is asthmatic or has an autoimmune deficiency can be greatly impacted by the mold that exists in a flooding situation. And muck and gut, by nature of the task, is getting that moldy stuff. That's not the right role for you.
2: So everybody can't do everything, and you just basically want to assess where that person is at in terms of both their skills and their physical abilities to do this work.
0: Let's turn that around, Vincent. Everybody can do something. They (laughs) They just have to really thoughtfully think about what they're good at. I always like to say, you know, you get experiences and you get the most incredible life-changing experiences when you put yourself in a position to help others, especially after disasters, but it's not necessarily the time that you want to come in and maybe learn how to use a chainsaw, right? You want to come in knowing how to use a chainsaw. You want to come in knowing how to provide emotional care, because maybe you do that at home in your faith-based institution, or maybe you're a social worker in a school. You know, you want to assess what skills you can bring to the table and share uh, during these difficult times.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So, Lisa, as we wrap up here, I I could go on and on with this. This is very exciting stuff. I want to make sure that our listeners know, first of all, how to get a hold of you, uh, your organization, if they want to get some of this training or volunteer or, or learn more about it what can you give us to help our, uh, our listeners know how they can how they can get involved
0: sure so I will just shout out right now if there are any local leaders any grassroots groups that are responding to disasters and they want to be a part of this advisory board looking at the credential looking at the training and saying yes this is what i want my volunteers to look at look like when they're trained to so please contact me join the advisory board be a part of this movement this is this is ground up we we know that this is needed and this is free and it's something that these grassroots leaders are guiding. This is not top down. This is what do you guys want to create? What do your volunteers need to know? You can contact me at LORLOFF at worldcares.org or by calling 212-563-7570 or by going to worldcares.org org, and that's cares with an S.
2: Okay. Well, as we as we wrap up, any last thoughts or ideas that you'd like to share with uh, with our listeners before we uh, before we wrap it up?
0: I would just like to say that a lot of our emergency managers have a lot to do. Most of all of our emergency managers have a lot to do when disasters strike, and it may not be that they don't appreciate the help. But at that time, it might be overwhelming if they don't have a system in place. Everyone is needed. Craig Fugate said it. To Make sure that your goodwill, your kind heart, and the sacrifices that you make to help others don't turn into you being a secondary victim. Please join us. Get trained. If you're a leader, make sure your disaster volunteers are trained. There's leadership training for you, and these tools are free of charge. It's no cost, and this truly is a movement that we have been developing for 21 years, and it is it is now being launched with technology behind it. It's thrilling, and I'm grateful to everyone that has contributed, and we want to welcome more people from around the nation and around the globe.
2: Well thank you. Lisa Orloff, founder and president World Care Center. Again, you can reach her at L as in Lisa Orloff, O R L O F F at WorldCares.org. And we'd like to see some, some more folks who are interested in volunteering reach out to you and, and join up. It sounds like a great opportunity and some great training.
0: Thanks, Vince. Thanks, Dane.
1: Preparedness Matters is sponsored by In Case of Crisis 365, your solution to managing the dramatic rise in business disruptions. Take the crisis out of crisis management.